And I would invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Psalms now, although we read from Isaiah, turn to the Psalms and turn to Psalm 103. Not necessarily a Christmas passage, and yet I was told once by somebody or I read it once that really I should be able to open the Bible anywhere. I should be able to open the Bible anywhere and and put my finger down on that passage and eventually take it to the cross. Because all of the Old Testament really points ahead to Christ and to the cross. The Gospels reveal the work of Christ, and then the rest of the New Testament points back to how we live in light of what Christ did. You have heard me mention many times my mentors. Aside from my dad, there were two men in particular who truly mentored and shepherded me as I stumbled into pastoral ministry, thinking I knew what I was doing. Quick story, quick sidelight. I'm not quite 25 years old. And my senior pastor takes me out for lunch. And he was telling me, you know, uh, Paul has stepped down. He's going to take a church in, uh, going to take a church out in Nebraska. And I want to ask you a question. Would you be willing to be the associate pastor of this church? I said, well, what does that entail? I preach, you run everything. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. That was my response. I'm 25 years old. I don't know anything. Yeah, I could do that. And he said, well, there's one other person I want to talk to, but if he says no, you're my guy. Praise God, the other guy said yes. And the other guy became one of our closest friends. He and his wife truly helped mentor us. Uh, Pastor Lowell and Naomi became dear, dear friends and mentors. I get, I sat and started writing about this the other day, and I literally had to stop. I just wept, knowing the grace of God of bringing this person into my life. They made us immediately feel valued. They made us feel significant. There are decisions that Charlene and I made in our married life and in rearing our children that we made because we heard that Lowell and Naomi did it, and if it works for them, it would work for us. Lowell had such influence in my life, one day he walked up to me and said, Scott, you need a recliner. He did, I didn't know at the time he knew somebody that was giving a recliner away. I ended up getting a recliner. Another day he walked in and said, you and Charlene need to buy a house. We bought a house. You know, he had that kind of, we loved them dearly. Near the end of 1984, I was working on, at this, I was working on two master's degrees at the same time. We had a baby. Charlene had stepped aside from teaching, so I was working full time. I was taking a full load of graduate school classes working on two master's degrees and 
we were the de facto leaders of a youth group of about 45 kids. We were exhausted. Oh, and Charlene was pregnant with number two. We were exhausted. She was really exhausted. I was sort of exhausted. We were fried. We didn't have family in the area, so we didn't travel for Christmas. It just didn't work. And our friends, Lola and Naomi, said, why don't you come to our house for Christmas dinner? And the first thought that crossed our mind was, wait, you have kids. And they said, no, this was one of those decisions we made. We have told our adult children, go every Christmas to your in-laws. Every Christmas, go to your in-laws. We're not going to get into this. You spent Christmas. We're not going to get, go to your in-laws and reserve New Year's for us. And we'll celebrate Christmas then. What a great idea. So Christmas 1984, we're at Lowell and Naomi's, and we're exhausted. And I began to tell Lowell, I said, look, we're fried. Uh, here's our situation, and here's the, here's the deal. I won't leave you in the lurch, but we're going to finish out the second semester, and then I have to step down. I, my family, my education, they have to happen. I have to step down. I love the students, I love hanging out with them, I love teaching them, but I have to literally, I have to, I didn't get much vacation, so I have to quit work, lose pay to go on a retreat. It's just, it's just not working for us. Lola and Naomi listened. They listened to our hearts. They understood our need to prioritize. And then he said this, he said, don't make any announcements yet. Just pray, and, and let's see what God does. So we did. We waited. And on Sunday night, May 26th, 1985, I was called to be the part-time youth pastor of our church in Indiana. I didn't have to quit. Lowell had a plan. He said, just wait. And you know what? Through all those times, he shepherded me. He taught me. He mentored me. Lola and Naomi were there for us when we needed a shoulder to cry on. They were there for us when we needed somebody to listen. They were there for us as advisors. We always, always felt loved and accepted by them without condition. But then I learned another example from their, another lesson from their example, and that was acceptance doesn't mean complacency. They didn't accept us so that we would just stay the way we were. They wanted to see us grow. They wanted to see us get better. My senior pastor, also a man that I count as a mentor, who preached my installation service here many years ago, he wanted me in the pulpit a minimum of once a month. He wanted to help me grow as a preacher. I didn't think I wanted to be a senior pastor, a lead pastor. I liked hanging out with kids. You know, uh, in fact, my daughter, when she was in preschool, they went through about, what does your dad do? And my daughter goes, oh, my dad hangs out with teenagers and goes to parties with them. Uh, We had to explain that a little bit out of context. That's okay. So I would preach once a month on a Sunday night, on Monday morning. Now, Understand, in our church, 
my, we didn't have, they didn't, I'd been, I was the first paid youth pastor. They didn't have an office for me. But at the front of the sanctuary, leading to a stairwell, there was an open spot, and they, that's where they stuck my desk. In the wintertime, I froze because we're not going to waste money heating the sanctuary. And in the summertime, I sweltered because we're not going to waste time, money cooling the sanctuary. And, and, and that was my desk. Anybody that, I mean, it was pretty open. Uh, I still have PTSD when I see an envelope shoved under my door laying on my desk because I got some doozies back in the day and, and all. So, you know, there I am. I'm in the sanctuary. And, and after I preached on a Monday morning, I could hear my friend Lowell walking down the aisle. And he would come in and he would sit down. And he would compliment my sermon. And then he would say, however... You used an adjective where you should have used a pronoun. And he would just gently, calmly correct me. Now, I know my grammar sometimes still needs work, but he would correct me in a way that he, he wanted me to be better. He didn't want to put me down. He just wanted to help me get better. I knew that he wanted me to be the best I could be. One Monday morning, he walks down the aisle, and he sits down, and he looks at me, and his eyes got a little bit moist, and he said, Scott, I have nothing to correct. That was a wonderful sermon from the Word of God. And more than just the attaboy, in that moment, I felt the depth of approval and acceptance. And I committed to that day saying, I never, ever want to disappoint this man who's poured so much into my life. In Psalm 103, David writes a hymn of deep praise and appreciation. And what I find so interesting about this particular psalm that is often quoted in part is that the psalmist is expressing things in a way that he reminds us that God is the active agent in our lives and that we are generally passive. We receive what he brings to us. And another unique nature fact about this psalm is it's very general in nature. Yes, David, we believe, wrote it. He wrote it probably when he was king of Israel and all, but it's not specific to Israel. It's general. It's for you. It's for me. Our theme this whole Advent season has been come home. And today, as we look at this psalm, our, our, the theme is come home to acceptance. You see, home should be that place where you feel accepted, just like Charlene and I felt so at home with our friends Lola and Naomi because they accepted us. That's what home should be. Home should be that place where your acceptance doesn't have to be earned or gained through performance. It's just granted because it's the place where you belong. 
And as we work through this psalm, my prayer is that we will each understand the depth of love that flows from God who accepts us because he created us. He wants more for us. And yet his acceptance is freely and unconditionally granted. David begins, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David is overwhelmed by the presence and the reality and the benefits of being in relationship with God. And he starts right out turning everybody's attention to God. The term praise, or some of your translations might say bless the Lord, have the same impact. It's the idea of just coming up with the best words you can come up with to express your depth of gratitude, your depth of respect to God. And it wells up from somewhere deep inside. Praise the Lord, David says, oh my soul, from the depth of who he is. Uh, the, the word translated praise could actually mean a word, to, could mean to bend the knee, to bow down. It's, it's saying, God, you're great, you're worthy of praise, I am your humble servant. David is fully aware of the benefits he receives from God, and that fact helps him understand this point. God makes us acceptable. God makes us acceptable. We're going to see how that develops, but I want you to look at the ways that God makes you and me acceptable. David talks about the benefits of knowing God. He says, first of all, he forgives all your sins. He doesn't just forgive some of your sins. He doesn't just forgive the sins that that are on the surface. He forgives all your sins. That's going to be developed as we move on here. He forgives all your sins. God is a forgiving God, and his forgiveness is complete. But he not only forgives, he restores. He heals all your diseases. Now, before we push back on that phrase a little bit, consider it in context. The ultimate disease is sin. The ultimate spiritual disease is sin. Sin destroys everything. In Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, it destroyed everything. It destroyed harmonious relationship between Adam, Eve, and God. It destroyed relationship between Adam and Eve. It destroyed harmony between Adam and Eve and the animals. God eventually had to kill an animal to give it skin to have skin to cover their nakedness. It destroys everything. Sin is the ultimate disease. And I think that's the first thing. When God forgives all my sins, God heals me spiritually. But there's also a physical aspect. God does heal physically. 
but he heals physically in different ways. I can tell you about our friend who used to be one of our youth leaders who was sending out notes and meeting with family because she had been diagnosed with a form of cancer that was so aggressive and so rare that she thought her life was over and she goes back to her next PET scan and it's not there and nobody knows why. God does that sometimes. But he didn't do it for my mom. And yet I know that my mom, the day that she breathed her last, I know that my mom was fully and completely healed in the presence of God. Nine years ago, on November 28th, my dad breathed his last. It was a Thanksgiving night. And I know that the day, he, that evening, when he passed away, in the presence of God, his mind was sharp again. The dementia was gone. So God heals, sometimes immediately and physically, and sometimes in a long-term way. And sometimes through doctors and nurses, and sometimes miraculously, he heals all your diseases. But David isn't done yet. He redeems your life from the pit, he says in verse 4. David, for David, the pit was a place of constant adversity and struggle. And he's saying God redeems, God rescues, God does not leave you feeling utterly defeated, rejected, and alone. And notice this, and he crowns you with love and compassion. Wow, what a, what a contrast from feeling defeated to feeling deeply loved to having God's compassion. When we do premarital counseling, and even in my marriage sermon, we talk about, in Ephesians 5, there are two commands. One is, the husband, it's the very end of the chapter, the husband must love his wife. And the wife must respect her husband. And one of the things that I've seen played out, and I, I tell young ladies, I say, you know, your love and respect for your husband are a much more powerful force in his life than anything else. You know, I, I've, I've talked to men. I remember a guy driving up one day, sat in my office, you know, he had all the accoutrements, right? Big car, big suit, uh, and all, all the accoutrements of success, and he sat there broken because he said, I don't think my wife respects anything that I do. Wow. When God crowns you with love and compassion, there's so much you can overcome because you know God is on your side. And notice, he satisfies your desires with good things. Be very careful how you read that. God's good things in my life are not always the same as what I think are good things. God's good things in my life build me up, make me a better person, make me a person more apt to serve Him. Don't get your wants and your needs confused. And boy, does that happen at this time of year, right? Uh, God gives me the good I need to serve Him, and then He strengthens me. He renews our strength like an eagle's. But notice all of this. I, David didn't do anything here. I don't do anything here. 
God forgives, God heals, God redeems, God strengthens, God satisfies. God is the one who makes you acceptable. And you say, well, why would God do this for us? I mean, in my worst moments, I think, why would God do this for me? I'm kind of a slug. You know, I, 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 what, what do I have that's really redeemable? Why would God bother? And in the next 11 verses, God reveals the answer, and the answer is simply this. Our acceptance is based on God's character. God makes us acceptable, but our acceptance is not based on what we bring to the table. It's based on God's character. My acceptance isn't based on whatever education I have. My acceptance to God isn't based on uh, how, how I look. My acceptance to God isn't based on the job I can get. My acceptance to God is not based on anything of me. It's God's character. God is a God who cares. Notice what he says. I'll pick it up in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. God is a God of justice and true justice. We hear a lot about people getting justice in our day. And, and that is the cry. But too often when you hear the cry for justice in our current culture, it's actually a cry for punishment. Punishment of the offender. And sometimes the offender receives punishment and it's not enough. Or other times the offender receives punishment and, oh, that was too harsh of a sentence. We struggle to make sense of human decisions. But God, and God alone is one who brings about true justice for all involved. And true justice doesn't only right that which is wrong, but true justice restores. When God's justice is complete, there is restoration. David looks back, he says this, the Lord, he said, David says, he made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. David is, is looking back at Moses, and, and you know, in the book of Exodus, we're introduced to Moses. Moses tried to do God's work Moses' way, and it failed. Moses runs out, and, and he spends 40 years in the desert. When he's 80 years old, he's finally to the point where God says, now I can use you. Now you're humble enough, and God comes to him, and Moses is reluctant. In fact, at one point when he's standing there in the burning bush, he literally says to God, send somebody else. Yeah, just, just imagine that. God saying, I've chosen you for this job. Yeah, I don't want to do that. God is almost speechless. And he says, who made your mouth? Because Moses said, I don't speak well. God said, who made your mouth? You know, and, and he sends him out. And then in chapter 34 of Exodus, Moses says, God, I want to see you. God says, you can't look on me, because if you look on me, you will die. I'm holy. But he says, what you can do is you can, I'll pass by you. And as God passes by, he says these things. David is actually quoting Exodus 34, 6 and 7. God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And David says, that's God's character. See, God's acceptance of you and me is not based on what we do. It's based on 
His character. And notice what he says here. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, and it is so great his love for those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And the reason David uses those directions is if you go east and you keep going east and you keep going east and keep going east until you come back to Wheaton, when you come back to Wheaton, you're still facing east. If you go west and you keep going west until you come back to Wheaton, you're still facing west. East and west never meet. North, you go north. And you hit the North Pole, and as soon as you cross over the North Pole, you're going south. North and south meet. East and west never meet. And I want you to know today, I think we need to be aware of this. God's forgiveness is complete. He remembers your sins no more. In other words, He doesn't hold them against us. God doesn't throw your sin up in your face. Every one of us. Doesn't take much time at all, right? We all know where we failed. And I know where I've failed. We can recall, probably with some pretty good detail, a time when we've disappointed or hurt someone or betrayed them or failed them. The God who makes us acceptable promises to forgive our sins completely. When we confess those sins, when we admit we've sinned, God says, I forgive you completely. And it's not that God cannot recall them. It's that he chooses not to recall them. Our enemy, the devil, will recall them. He will throw them up in your face, but you and I have an advocate in Jesus Christ, the one who was born at this time, who says, no, I paid for that sin. No, we do not hold them guilty for that. And and you know what? That helps me. That helps me because when I rehearse, and I do, I think we all do, when I go back and look at those failures, I can forgive myself because God has forgiven me. When that guilt crops up, and it will, I would encourage you to take a minute to remind yourself that you are forgiven and ask God to assure you of that reality. If the God of the universe, the holy, righteous, just God of the universe says, I can forgive you, Scott, and I do forgive you, Scott, then I can forgive myself. And I can say, okay, God, I feel bad about this, but you've forgiven me. I can move on from this. And especially when I've done everything I can do to make it right. Maybe I've apologized. Maybe I've sought forgiveness. Maybe I've made restitution. When I've done everything, I just, you have to say, okay, if God forgives me, I can forgive him. But notice it it doesn't stop there. It's kind of like, but wait, there's more. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. God is compassionate. Like a father 
has compassion on his children. A father should have a depth of love and understanding. I still, even as I keep getting older, I still remember three times in my life holding in my arms a brand new baby, whether it was Bethany or Jessica or David, holding that child in my arms, feeling uh, kind of mixed emotions, a, a great depth of love and like, wow, and then a great sense of, ah, I'm responsible for this. Oh, I remember, I'm 23 years old, haven't even been married a year yet, 11 months, walking out of Kosciuszko Community Hospital going, what have I done? How, how, how do I do this? And yet at the same time, holding that little baby going, this is amazing. God feels that way about you. God has compassion on you, just like a good father has compassion on these kids. And I know, I'm a human dad. I don't always do that well. The, the, the best of dads are imperfect. But God says, let me be your example. I love you, my child. I'm compassionate on those who fear me. We'll talk about that in a second. God says, I know how you're formed. I know you're dust. I know you're weak. I know you're frail. I know you stumble and fall. I know you make mistakes. I know you hurt me and you hurt others. I know all of that. I know how you're formed. I still have compassion on you because you're mine. He remembers that we're temporary. Look at this. For the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. God, God knows we're temporary. God knows that we're not going to stay on this earth forever. But in essence, he says, I love you. I love you so much. I sent my son to be born and to die for you so that when you put your faith in him and through him you are fully acceptable. And all of that is not based on what you do, but it's based on God's character. There's a song, I've played it before on our playlist. Uh, it's by a group called Casting Crowns. And uh, the, the chorus I like, it says, not because of what I've done, but because what not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Not because I of what I've done, but because of what you've done. You know, it, it's that idea that it's not me, it's God through me. David declares that God's love is immeasurable. Look at verse 17. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. There, let me put it this way. God's acceptance should challenge you and me to be better. Just like when my friend walked down the aisle on Monday mornings after I preached and, and, and I knew he loved me, I knew he accepted me, and I knew he wanted me to be better. God wants you and me to be better. 
and note the two key terms in these verses. Verse 17, his love is with those who fear him and those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. We have to remember that God does expect something from us, and that is that we fear him. That means to stand in awe of him. It means to have this deep respect. It's the same idea. In a sense, I would say I feared my friend Lowell, not that I was afraid of him necessarily, but I respected him so much I wanted to do all I could to cause him to continue to say, Scott, you're doing a good job. I didn't want to disappoint him. I should fear God, respect God so much that it should impact how I live. And yet, we're dealing with a holy and righteous God. And I'm going to tell you, you don't want to stand and fall into the hands of the holy God because there is another side of that fear. And all of that should move us to say, God, I want to follow you. And he says, it's bound up also in obedience. Not only do I want to live in harmony with God, I want to obey him. And God's laws and God's precepts that David talks about are bound up in the preamble. You find it in Exodus chapter 20. We call it the Ten Commandments. But then Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he took the law and he helped us even more, right? He boiled it down. He goes, here's the law. Okay, you want it? Here's the basic summary of the law. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Two, love your neighbors yourself. Man, if we did that, that's a full-time job. And loving my neighbor as myself means loving every neighbor as myself. I may not agree with them. I may not even like them very much, but how do I love them? How do I show them God's compassion through me? We see God's acceptance and love at this time of year in the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the Son of God, born in a manger, Jesus, the Son of God, ultimately dying for our sins, ultimately taking our punishment. If that's not love, what is? And that fact should be enough to challenge us to be better, to fear, to obey. And then David takes it and goes big. The last four verses. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This is the God of the universe. And David says, angels, praise God. He says, everything on earth, praise God. And he says, his works, the sun, the stars, the moon, everything, praise God. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we're driving down the road, it's full moon, and I see this bright light as I, I don't know, I think it was, let's see, dun, dun, dun. it was a little bit west and a tad bit north or south of the moon. And I watched it as I was driving without crashing. First thing I looked for was, is it moving? It wasn't. Next thing I looked for was, is there a red tail light? There wasn't. And then finally, I said to Charlene, I said, I think that's probably Mercury or Venus that we can see. Oh, that's nice. 
Well, I, I you know, I, I'm kind of geeking out at that moment, you know. And I get home, and so I, I start to Google, what planet can you see? And, what, and, and it was Jupiter. Jupiter. My very efficient mother made, uh, or just, my very efficient mother just, the fifth planet from the sun. It's Jupiter. I, I literally went out and stood in my driveway and just stared. I'm looking at Jupiter. I was just geeking out. I hope God's creation does that for you. I hope God's creation just causes you to go, wow, what an incredible planet. What an incredible place. I'm hurtling through the atmosphere at thousands of miles an hour, and I can stare at Jupiter. Crazy. God wants you and me to just stand in awe of who he is because he's the God who's made us acceptable and God's acceptance impacts all of creation. God's acceptance impacts everything. And he loves you so much. He sent his son die on the cross for your sins, to conquer death, and one day he's coming back. Lowell and Naomi, I still get emotional. Deep friends, there when we needed them, there with a word of advice, there with a hug, there with a pat on the shoulder, there to listen, accepted us unconditionally. And then gently, kindly, graciously helped us be better than we were when we met them. They showed us in a human way, Psalm 103, they showed us in a human way the depth and love and compassion that reflected God's love and acceptance for them this Christmas. Come home to God's acceptance. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for just the the gentle reminders in this psalm and the word pictures that just help us to see how amazing you are. Lord, as we celebrate you in some song, as we remember you in a few minutes in communion, May we be drawn in deep love and respect and obedience to you, the God of compassion who accepts us. In Jesus' name, amen.